if you are listening to this, at least if you're listening to this around now, I'm recording this in uh, late summer 2020, I am going to guess you fall into at least one of the following three categories, perhaps all three. You have either recently gotten a puppy, you've thought about getting a puppy, or you know someone who has gotten a puppy or is thinking about getting a puppy. Okay, I guess that's four categories. And I think that's because puppies are the opposite of death, destruction, uh, pandemics. (laughs) They can certainly cure depression. And a good time to get a puppy is when you are going to be spending a lot of time home. I actually got my dog when I left a desk job. I spent exactly one year as a reporter at the New York Post and I actually wrote their wedding section. I don't know if they still have a wedding section. I wrote some other things there too, but that was my main gig and I actually got fired. Well, it was kind of like a I quit, you're fired situation, but the issue at hand wasn't the quality or content of my work. It was that I was instant messaging too much. That's how old I am. I remember at the time thinking, one day this is going to seem hilarious. I have a feeling. And I, I wasn't even sending like sexy instant messages or anything. I wasn't talking to a boyfriend. Or I, w- I was either uh, talking to other reporters who worked at other places, I think, or I was talking to my mom. And I, I certainly wasn't the only one instant messaging, but I, I guess they, they needed some kind of scapegoat and wanted to crack down on this practice. And Cole Allen, who was, who was the editor-in-chief there at the time, called me into his office, and it was pretty terrifying. And he remember he had a print out like an inch high of uh, my instant messages. And now, here we are 15 years later, and... Basically, all we all do is instant message. We have a president who's instant messaging 200 times a day. Also, to other journalists and my mom. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm telling the story only because after I left, after my ignominious departure from what was actually probably a, a very good job in right-wing tabloid, Journalism, I started working from home. I was living in a ground floor apartment in in Brooklyn at the time. It was kind of, had like a little garden outside, kind of the perfect place for a dog. So I was sort of thinking a little bit about getting a dog, but then what really made it happen was a a guy I had dated for a few years, a boyfriend. I was like madly in love with him. He broke up with me and I was completely devastated and after many months he came back to town he'd moved away he came back to town and we went out to dinner and I was so hopeful we'd get back together again but then he made it very clear that's not what he wanted and the next day I just like I couldn't get out of bed I remember it was summer and it was a really hot day and I had been crying so like my face was hot 
and my air conditioner wasn't working and I was lying in bed and I was just so hot with my like face wet and bloated and like trying to just like breathe and feeling like this is the worst, the worst day of my life. You know that feeling? <laughs> and it's funny because looking back at myself or, you know, really looking at anyone else's <laughs> anxiety and depression and the causes for those things, I always think it's, it's hard because I always feel like, right, like it's easy to think someone else should just get over their issues. But it's different when it's your issues. I, I remember feeling so punched in the stomach, but now I look back at it and I think like, ah, girl, you should have just shook it off. <laughs> anyway, I... I was in real, real pain, heartbroken, and it occurred to me that if I had a puppy, uh, I would have a reason to get out of bed in the morning. And that is how my dog, Amos, who is now 15, came into my life. I'm not necessarily condoning this behavior. I don't think getting a puppy is necessarily the right thing to do for uh, every broken-hearted, newly-fired 25-year-old living in Brooklyn, but uh, that's, that's my story, and it worked out well for both of us. And I think right now we're living in a moment where a lot of people are experiencing uh, those two things. One, they're working at home, not because they're getting fired for sending short messages to other people, um, but because um, the world is ending, <laughs> uh, because of uh, this crazy pandemic we're living through, and uh, I think a lot of people are depressed. Not depressed because of a breakup, maybe, I guess you could say it's a breakup with uh, sanity and security or something, but anyway similar emotions and uh, I think that puppies really can lift one's mood. Now if you are looking to acquire a puppy or you know someone who's looking, I think you should check out your local shelters and rescue organizations first. If they do not have puppies, definitely consider getting an older dog especially if you are going through a rescue organization as they often have dogs in foster homes. So you'll get a dog who, um, if it's been in a good foster home, you will know a little bit about that dog before it comes into your home. However, if you have your heart set on a young puppy and you're not finding one in the shelters, then I do suggest you find a good breeder. However, it's tricky to know what a good breeder is or if, if you have found one. And most of the good breeders I know of have pretty long wait lists at this point. Today, I am offering you guys an interview I did recently with one such breeder. She is my friend Sheree Mahone. She is uh, one of the owners of River Valley Doodles, which is located in Rochester, New York. I interviewed her a year and a half ago, and this episode is kind of an update on her business and the industry during the pandemic. If you are thinking about getting a puppy, do go back and listen to that episode. It is called Let's Talk About Dog breeding 
with Cherie Mahone of River Valley Doodles. And I think it's a really good starting starting point for anybody who is um, looking into getting a dog from a breeder. I've shared this episode with a lot of clients who are thinking about going that route. In today's conversation, she talks to me a little bit about how people can stand out from the pack when they're trying to get a puppy, what kind of research you can do and what kind of approach you can take to better the odds that a good breeder will pay attention to your application. And she talked about what she thinks this puppy boom may mean for the future of both dog shelters and puppy mills. You can learn more about River Valley Doodles at rivervalleydoodles.com. They're also on Instagram at River Valley Doodles. Give this a listen, and at the end of the episode, I am going to be answering a question from a listener who has a puppy who is jumping up on her while she's trying to make food in the kitchen. I have a quick suggestion for how she can deal with this problem. And now, something completely different. Hi, my name is Annie Grossman, and I'm a dog trainer. This podcast is brought to you by School for the Dogs, a Manhattan-based facility I own and operate along with some of the city's finest dog trainers. During this podcast, we'll be answering your questions, geeking out on animal behavior, discussing pet trends, and interviewing industry experts. Welcome to School for the Dogs podcast. Cherie, how are you? How are things up in uh, upstate New York? It's, uh, you know, Rochester's a little different in New York. I, I feel so bad for, for all of you. You guys have, you know, apartments and stuff. Like, at least I have a yard. And um, we've been very good about keeping social distancing and masks and things like that. So we have a really low rate of infection. But, um, you know, things are definitely different. So. Yeah. Um, in terms of puppy world, everything's great, almost too great. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's weird. It's like there, there are these strange areas, these strange, strange areas that have somehow benefited from right <laughs> little, yeah, little, little pockets from- of the world that have benefited from <laughs> mass uh, hysteria, destruction, illness, etc. Yeah. Have you guys had more, because more people are getting puppies, are you up in business or because, you know, you've had to be shut down? Is it not, I'm sure online has grown some for you, but. um, Yeah, well, we, we have been open in one way or another now since June and it has been, um, it has been pretty busy, but there's a limit to how many dogs and people we want in the space at any one time. Right. So, uh, and also some of our staff uh, is out of town or um, you know, some people had to, had to leave because of the pandemic. So it's, it, there's been a lot of transition. But yeah, it seemed, and we've really been trying to do everything we can to do as much training online as possible. 
which I think we, I think we transitioned actually pretty smoothly to that. We had been wanting to do more online stuff even before COVID hit. And we'd had a lot of things sort of in place um, even before. Yeah. So it was kind of, you know, kind of good timing, I guess. Um, I mean, certainly, yeah, one bright side is all the online learning that's happening in all directions, I think. But another perhaps unexpected consequence is the puppy boom. The puppy boom. So I, I wanted to talk to you because I feel like I can't even count how many people have reached out to me to say, um, we've decided to get a puppy, but we really want a non-shedding dog. And all the, all the doodle breeders don't have dogs. So what should I do? I'd like to adopt, but I don't want a dog that sheds. And I have been at a loss of what to suggest to people. So I was curious to talk to you to hear what it's been like from, from your perspective and, and if you have any suggestions for people who, who want this um, halcyon situation of <laughs> yeah, dog yeah. who doesn't shed. Yeah, I mean, I, obviously I understand it. That's, that's why uh, we like doing the doodles. Um, we've probably received three times the amount of applications of what we normally do. And we've always had high demand and it's been overwhelming. Um, Was there like one moment where you were like, oh my God? Um, the beginning of April, <laughs> but it is still every day. Um, you know, and I have marked in multiple spots on the website, we don't have, we don't have puppies. I don't have any coming up available. Um, the ones that are coming up available are reserved. I have a wait list over 75 families long and I stopped taking names, um, just out of fairness for them so they can look somewhere else. And also, out of fairness for mother nature. Like it's totally up to her if things work out with what our plans are. So I don't want people to be um, surprised if for instance, a mom that we thought was pregnant, you know, isn't, and you know, they've been waiting for puppy and they bought stuff and got planned. And then I got to pull the rug out from underneath them. So, um, but yeah, probably three times the amount of applications and still every day, I probably get a dozen applications. Um, I, I think, you know, with that, one of the number one things, I have a couple of concerns with it. One of the number one things is it's people that are less prepared than last year. We'll say in 20, you know, um, 2019, people were very prepared before they even submitted an application. Um, now they've, they come and they haven't read anything yet. They haven't uh, watched any training videos yet. They're just, we want a puppy next week. Um, so that's, you know, you feel like, it sounds like you feel like people are making the choice to get a dog in a more rash way than, than before. I do. Yeah. I mean, I, I do, I do agree that now is a great time to raise a puppy, especially if you're work from home. Um, you know, you get more opportunity to run the puppy to the litter pan or outside, depending on how you're training your puppy. Um, people are home to pay attention to the puppy. I do agree that it's a great time, but I, I have seen a little less, some of the questions that are coming in are questions that I thought that they would know before they would even apply for a puppy. You know, like um, how often do we feed a puppy um, type stuff? So I have you know, a little bit concerned that 
it's a rash decision, but I'm trying to do the best I can to shake that out, to say, you know, a dozen times before I get them to commit for sure that, you know, are you sure you're committed? What about next year when you're going to be traveling a lot? What are your plans next year for the puppy? Um, because right, because you, people might be getting a dog for a lifestyle that is going to change. I've talked to, you know, some of my breeder friends and it's all the same scenario for anyone that has a decent program. Um, it's the same scenario. I mean, I don't really talk to anyone that doesn't have a good program. So my guess is, um, they're experiencing the same thing. Well, I have, I have passed along, uh, our last conversation from last year to, a lot of people who've asked me, how do I know if this person is a good breeder? Um, because I think there's some really good tips that you offer there. Do you worry that like there's more unethical breeding happening right now? I do. And I'm pretty sure that there is. Um, you know, there's one thing that the puppy mills are good about and that's, that's meeting demand. And they'll do anything to make that happen. Um, you know, they could you know, breed a female dog on her first cycle at six, seven months old. I mean, the dog's still a baby and hasn't fully grown yet. So um, I do think that they're doing things like that to meet demand. Um, I have heard from some of my owners that people couldn't find puppies. They, you know, went to um, Pennsylvania area uh, breeders, um, you know, Amish Mennonites, some of those that are known for being puppy mills at times. Um, and they're getting puppies from them and it's very sad craigslist craigslist yeah so who knows where those puppies came from um could be from anywhere could be even stolen puppies which happens um so yeah there's a lot of problems coming with people just desperately trying to get a puppy mm -hmm. What do you tell people when they say, well, I want to rescue, but I want a non-shedding dog? I like, I don't know. want to be supporting breeders necessarily. I don't want to be supporting. I, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's great if they can find that. Um, I've actually been telling them, because from what I understand, a lot of the um, New York shelters, as well as upstate New York, where I'm at, um, are pretty empty. Um, I've been telling them to look south you know, look in Tennessee, um, look in Texas, um, be willing to make travel arrangements, um, you know, for a non-shedding dog from a, a Southern state that seem, they have definitely a higher, um, higher number of, of dogs in the shelters in those areas. So, I mean, a lot of the rescues will actually rescue from another state. Um, so <clears throat> told them to, you know, expand their search, you know, with geography, so. Do you think that it's true that people who don't, people who have allergies are going to do better with, you know, the non-shedding dogs? I mean, isn't some of the allergy stuff, for instance, like based on saliva and, and yeah. dander? Yeah. So, and, yeah. And it's, you know, so it's a, a myth from, from my research that any dog could be totally hypoallergenic. I mean, people could be allergic to the saliva and you would think, well, big deal. That's just if the dog licks me and then maybe I'll get a rash. Like that's not it. The, the dogs look themselves. So when you're petting the dog, it could get on you. It doesn't take much for you to have an you know, allergic reaction. Um, 
you know, and the other thing is they go outside, they get grass on them, they get pollen on them, uh, you know, and you're not going to give them a bath every time it comes inside. So um, definitely a myth that uh, they're hypoallergenic. Do they do better for those with allergies? Oftentimes, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, so those that are super curly, especially those that are super curly that maybe have like a poodle, what they call a fleece coat, mm -hmm. um, do do better for those with allergies. But could still have an allergic reaction to a very curly dog too. I mean, do you think it's a boom that has to do with dogs across the board? I do. Yeah. I mean, I do think that it's a across the board. I mean, I actually have had owners who said, well, you know, my brother-in-law wants to get a puppy, but they don't want a golden doodle or sheep a doodle. Uh, they want a boxer. Do you know any breeders? Um, I've been getting that probably two times more than usual. Um, and I do my best to try to, you know, find what I think appears to be a good breeder and call them. And um, for doodles, I mean, I think we talked about this last time too. But you must have people who say, like, you know, I'll pay ten times your price. Is that happening more? Um, so, I mean, and I, do you just sometimes think maybe I should? <laughs> triple I my have price? thought, yeah. My my family's like, hey, you know, because I'm, you know, in charge of that kind of stuff. So. We had the conversation and I said, I'm not going to raise prices. They're going to stay the same through this. Um, you know, and I know that breeders have raised their prices, um, you know, and businesses supply and demand. So they, they can. And, um, you know, if that's what you're willing to pay for a puppy, then, you know, okay. But I, I, I think it's better integrity wise just to keep the price the same. Um, you know, we want to, we want to keep things, things fair. And we don't really want to take advantage of this situation at all. Is, is the application more for you or for other breeders, you think more rigorous? Yeah, mine's pretty a pain in the pain to get through. <laughs> um, and I, I have people commented that said, thank you so much for making us do this application because it made us think through whether you know now is the right time for a puppy or not because a lot of the questions are you know what is your plan for when you do go back to work um you know what is your plan uh, if the puppy's nipping a lot and you have little kids you know what are you going to do and it's sort of like all these tests to make sure people are you know have a plan for training even if there are no group in-person puppy classes going on you know have an, a plan for an online um, program, um, you know, and have a plan for when you're going back to work um, for the puppy before you jump in getting a puppy. So I don't know what other breeders have done, but I know mine's, mine's pretty, uh, it, it's not that it's hard, it's time intensive to get through. Maybe, just thinking out loud, you could tell people they have to uh, do training with every puppy they get. I guess there are some breeders who do that, right? I do do that, yeah. I have um, uh, in the final contract that they have to they have to have training. Um, even if they profess to be a dog trainer themselves, they have to tell me that they have some uh, source of, of you know, other training. Um, it, and I understand that group classes are, for the most part, not going on right now. Some some are doing smaller ones, um, but you know, I also provide uh, some options as well. So I I make sure that they know where to look. You know, whether it be. The books. Um, I send them uh, your online course information, um, and I'll do like a, a couple of like setup YouTube videos. You know how to set up for the puppy, but for ongoing training, 
um, I'm encouraging them to well, have. Thank you. Okay. Do you think this is going to change the, the industry? Um, I do. My biggest concern for it is that next year, uh, if things normalize and people start traveling again, um, my concern is that they put their puppies in shelters. Um, you know, we have in our contract that you have to return the puppy to us so we can, you know, help rehome the puppy. Um, and you cannot put them in the shelter. And I make sure this is very clear, but I'm sure many breeders don't. Um, and we might see a rise in dogs in shelters next year um, because people may say, oh, wait, now this doesn't fit my lifestyle. I do think there also will be a more appreciation um, for dog trainers, um, you know, because it's sometimes hard to, to get one right now because they're booked up to have them come to your home. Um, they're not necessarily doing a lot of group classes. And I think people are going to have more struggles because they're not going to have as much assistance. Um, and, you know, certainly the online courses are, are going to help, but those breeders that aren't giving out those resources or if they're just getting a puppy from a puppy mill that doesn't give out any resources on anything, um, you know, I think there's going to be a more appreciation for dog trainers for certain. I also think um, boarding next year, boarding facilities are going to have a higher occupancy rate. Um, people are going to start traveling again. Um, so yeah, I think there's going to be some long-term impacts. It's interesting about the trainers from my perspective, like it sounds like we're just like <laughs> blowing smoke up each other's butts or something like people are going to appreciate you. No, people are going to appreciate <laughs> you. Like I think people are going to appreciate breeders more because um, fortunately there are many laws out there now making it harder for pet stores to exist. And fortunately, I think there's more awareness about, I mean, perhaps not enough awareness but more than there was about puppy mills and what they are and how they feed into pet stores. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people want to adopt, but like you said, are finding the shelters are not necessarily welcoming right. them with open arms because also fortunately, so many other people have adopted, um, which leaves people, I think, wanting to buy a dog that they know has been you know, treated humanely, raised humanely, that has ideally been raised by people looking out for its health and its family's, its mother, the mother dog's best interest, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that will lead them to people like you who might not necessarily <laughs> Have, right. have puppies. Um, do you think there's going to be more people, more people who are sort of breeding on a smaller scale? Because I, I, I feel like there must be people who are seeing this boom happen and thinking, well, I, I, my dog isn't fixed and she's a golden doodle. Right. Yeah, I do think so. Um, you know, I, you're in New York City. I'm in upstate New York. Um, we're very lucky to be in a state that has um, inspectors on, on, on breeders um, and that 
really leads to you know having breeders understand what a good level of care is. I mean, the laws laws are pretty strict here in New York. Um, so the breeders, in, in my opinion, anyways, tend to be um, a little more thoughtful here in New York than some of the other breeders I'm seeing in the forums in some of the other states. Um, so they're really spending a lot of time thinking about the program and they're also doing a lot of guardian homes and they're mentoring people that are interested in breeding. It's not a whole lot, but there's some and these people are really engaged and trying to be educated. Um, you know, in other states, it seems to be a little bit of a different scenario, and I don't want to put in all other states, but, um, you know, where there is just a lot of random breeding popping up, you know, I'll get an email from somebody saying, hey, can we use your, your stud? We'll, we'll drive there. We're from, I don't know, West Virginia. And I'll say, okay, well, have you done any health testing? And I'm like, well, what's that? <laughs> so, um, you know, things to me that are very one-on-one that should be done, um, you know, are not going on. So yeah, I, th I think there will be a, you know, a raise in that for sure. Well, I hadn't even thought of that. Are, are, is the price for studying going up? Um, no, I don't actually see it going up. Um, we don't stud outside. It just, um, it becomes, I mean, it's hard to do because it's, you know, three or four visits and, um, you know, sometimes you don't agree with the other person's program and things like that. But I know other breeders have, um, certain studs are, are, I would say have gone up higher in pricing. Um, particularly if you are a red doodle that carries parties. So if you carry, um, something that can throw out puppies with like the white paws and the white chest, um, you know, those are pretty pricey now. They probably tripled in price in the last year or two. Hmm. Are there like, are there like dog sperm banks? <laughs> uh, yes, you can have it shipped to you. Am I a weirdo for even asking that question? <laughs> you can have it shipped to you. Yeah, you can have it overnighted. Um, but is it like online? Like you can search by like. like no, I mean, but that's a great business idea. <laughs> Do like a match.com. Yeah. Or doggy, doggy sperm. <laughs> I'm, oh, I'm the idea person. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm surprised that that doesn't, uh, that doesn't exist. Uh, so that's one thing, I guess, to, to suggest to people that they, they look at the laws of the state that they're in and make sure that, mm -hmm. I mean, are, are there some states that you think, you said New York, are there other states that are like, that you feel good about suggesting people look at for breeders? Yeah, New York is um, pretty strict, probably the strictest state. Um, but, but if you just are breeding one dog and selling that dog's puppies, do you need licensing to do that? No, no. Um, if you are going to sell more than um, 25 puppies, 25 puppies that are your own, if you are selling in a guardian home scenario, like I help my mom and my sisters, then it's nine puppies, but Pretty, pretty strict in New York once you hit that mark where you're, oh. you know, actually having a program. Um, California is also very strict. There's not a whole lot of breeders there. And I think everything else is pretty much a wild west. I mean, Connecticut and Massachusetts might be a little bit um, in New Jersey, but Pennsylvania is just, Pennsylvania and Missouri are wide open to uh, do whatever you want. Hmm. I have suggested to people that are wanting um doodles specifically but i guess other kinds of breeders too that 
to ask if they can be a guardian or if there are any retiring dogs that the breeder has. Do you, do you think that's a good idea? I do. Um, it's been a little bit hard for my family so far to um, want to let anyone go because, you know, they're, they're pets in our homes. Um, so to say, okay, you know, we're breeding anymore. We want to make some room. Uh, so, you know, we want to adopt out, you know, say, I mean, my dog Jada, she's uh, eight now. I mean, no way. Is <laughs> she going anywhere? Um, so it's hard for some breeders to do that. Other breeders, um, you know, and I don't I think there's like a right and wrong to it. And they just think differently about their program and they want to make room and think that the, um, you know, the dog they're adopting out, the adult dog is going to have a better life with having somebody, a family that has more time um, than somebody that has I don't know, 10 dogs. So um, it's definitely a possibility. It would take a little bit of work to send emails to everybody. Um, but I know many breeders that, that do that, do that. What do you mean it would take work to send emails? Um, you'd have to, you know, hunt down the breeders that you, that you'd want to ask and oh. email them all individually. Um, you know, do you have any dogs coming up for retirement that you'd be interested in adopting out? Um, and you should probably tell a little bit about yourself while you're sending the email because you get one line emails all the time as a breeder, you know, so you kind of ignore those ones and the people that take a little bit of time to explain about themselves and who they are, you, you, you tend to answer back more quickly. Huh. Yeah. And it, like, clearly you can afford to be a little bit picky. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks for talking. I'm hoping your family is, is all safe and everyone's doing all right. Thank you. Yeah. Given, you given the situation. Shuri says that she expects to be opening up her wait list again sometime next year. A question came in from a listener named Leah. Leah writes, My three-month-old shepherd mix, George, jumps on the counter or my thighs when we are preparing his food or giving him treats. He seems to know the cue down. I say down, point to the ground, and he jumps off. However, clearly it's being reinforced because it happens again. I don't give him his food treats until his paws are on the ground, but he continues to jump on me and the counter in the meantime. He's a big boy already, 25 pounds at three months, so I'm getting scratches on my thighs and he will soon be big enough to get anything he wants off any counter. I have listened to all your podcasts on the training triad and operant conditioning, and I like the idea of a treat and train on the floor for when I'm preparing the meals on the counter to occupy him on the floor. If you have any other tips for me, I'd greatly appreciate them. Thanks so much. So it sounds to me like what George has probably learned is that when the humans are doing stuff with food in the kitchen, if I jump on them, I then get A, attention, and B, yummy stuff. The key is to not let him start jumping in the beginning, and the good news is he's really young, so there's no way he's really been engaging in this behavior for that long. So I actually think you'll probably have a pretty easy time teaching him to engage in a new behavior when you are in the kitchen doing stuff with food on the counter. I suggest you select a spot in your kitchen 
where it's going to be okay for George to be while you are doing kitchen stuff. You could also use it when you're eating at the table or whatever. We call it like a sticky spot. It could be a bed. It could be a crate. It could also just be a towel on the floor, a blanket. We love using uh, pieces of yoga mats for this kind of thing at, at our studio at School for the Dogs. And this is gonna be super easy to train, I think, because basically all I want you to do is put delicious stuff on that mat while you are doing stuff at the counter. You mentioned the Treat and Train, which is a remote control treat dispenser that um, I think is great for, for many things. It's super simple, easy to use, takes a few batteries. Um, you can find it at storefromthedogs.com, the Treat and Train. Uh, yeah, it works at like a radius of I think up to 30 feet. You could fill it with dry food, Cheerios, whatever. Lots of dry treats that will go in it pretty nicely. And um, yeah, you could just trigger that the whole time that you are standing at the counter. Um, some dogs are a little wary of it at first. It makes a kind of grinding sound and, a, and it can make a beep, although you can turn the beep off. So um, think about that if, if you're at all concerned about him being worried about it, you might have to acclimate him to it. I, I like using the treat and train just as like a socialization uh, in socialization because it's like it, it with a puppy because it's like a weird object that is also uh dispensing treats it's like makes a weird noise and then the treat comes out so it's like making that pairing very easily without a lot of effort you can also put it on a timer so you could be standing at the kitchen counter and um, just put it on a timer so it dispenses every 30 seconds or whatever so yeah, I think your, your own suggestion is a good one. I would just make sure to have it be at a, a specific spot where it's gonna be cool for him to hang out. You could also just you know manually go over and put treats there every now and then. Um, you could feed him his whole meal uh, in ideally like a slow food bowl or some other kind of work to eat toy during those moments when you're at the kitchen counter on that mat. Just make sure that you're you're making it a place where he really wants to be, and there there should be a high rate of reinforcement happening for really very little behavior other than being on the mat or even near the mat. And don't pay him very much attention when you're in the kitchen unless he's on the mat. If he does start to jump on you, I would just walk over to the mat and put some good stuff on it. Don't pay a lot of attention to him and then make sure that you're replenishing his whatever yummies you're throwing on the mat or whatever whatever is there that's keeping him occupied that you're replenishing it before he has a chance to come and jump on you again. I would love to know how this goes. Why don't you send me a video update, Leah? Uh, my guess is that he is totally going to get the hang of this within mm, two days, maybe. Let me know. Let me know if I'm right or wrong. We are currently in the process of building out an invitation-only app where School for the Dogs fans can connect with like-minded pet owners. The app will feature free resources, deals, and access to our trainers. If you'd like to join, please visit schoolforthedogs.com slash podcast community or text your email address to 917-414-2625.
Thanks so much for listening. You can support School for the Dogs podcast by subscribing, leaving a five-star review, telling your friends, and shopping in our online store. Learn more about School for the Dogs and sign up for lots of free training resources on our website, schoolforthedogs.com. 